Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Uh, but man, we're, we're super excited. Church, uh, we're going to continue in our series uh, through the, the, the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 9, verse 30 through 37, if you would open your Bibles there today. I'm super excited about this message. Very, very excited about this message. I titled the message for today, How to Be the Goat. How to Be the Goat. And by goat, I don't mean like an animal, okay? I don't, I don't mean an animal. Uh, goat stands for greatest of all time. That's what goat means. I just wanted to give you the heads up, you know, if you weren't a millennial or whatever, but uh, how to be the goat, how to be the greatest of all time. Quickly, I just need to know this, this, the answer to this question. LeBron or Jordan? Goat. Okay, who's LeBron? Okay, raise your hand if you think it's LeBron. Come on, any LeBron fans? I love my church. Jordan? Oh my God. God, I knew you're good. God, you are always good. I just knew it, Lord. I just knew it. Uh, man, but how to be the goat. How to be the goat. Uh, so let me kind of give you the context and set the passage up for today. Uh, Jesus uh, was on the mountain of transfiguration. Uh, he comes down with Peter, James, and John. Uh, he encounters this father who was struggling uh, in his faith to believe that Jesus could heal his son. Uh, his, uh, Jesus heals the man's son. And at this point there in Caesarea Philippi, which is kind of in the northern part, north of, northeast of the Sea of Galilee. And so what they're doing now, Jesus and his disciples, they're traveling southwest uh, to Capernaum. Uh, they're just traveling, and that's where kind of we're going to pick up the story, Jesus traveling with his disciples as they go southwest back to camp in Capernaum in the region of Galilee. So let's read the passage for today. Verse 30, it says this, uh, They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Verse 33, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest, who was the goat. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Let's pray. God, we come before you today asking you to edify your church. Build up your people, build up your church, build up the people of restoration, God. Speak to them through your word. I pray that you would speak to them clearly. I pray that you would speak to them powerfully, God. Let them know today, remind them today that they are hearing your word, your word to them through a preacher. I'm simply just a 
conduit to deliver a message, but you're speaking to them. God, I pray today we would leave challenged. We would leave different. We would leave with a different perspective and a different mind. And God, I pray that if any distractions um, are in our, are in our heart and our mind, maybe something happened during the week or today, God, may we just focus on you. May we give you our full, undivided attention because you're worthy of it all. We are worthy of loving you with our heart and our mind, God, all of our strength. We love you, Jesus. Lead us and guide us today through your word and through your spirit. Build your church, Jesus. Build your church. And all of God's people say, amen. So, church, I'm talking about the GOAT, talking about greatness. And, um, you know, I was thinking about what that really means and what that means specifically to the church world. In the church world, the truth is that many church leaders and many church pastors want to be great. And a lot of times we fall into this trap, myself included, if I could be completely honest with you, that greatness um, is about how big your church is, the size of your church. If you have a big church, then you must be a great pastor, or how many staff you have, or how many campuses you have. That, that's sometimes the, the way that we think as church leaders and church pastors, and I just want to be honest with you. The greatness is the size of your church, the number of campuses, the, the number of staff, the, the, the amount of publicity uh, you get on social media, the likes and the shares and the retweets and all of that stuff, or, or nowadays it's, it's, if, it's if you publish a book. Like today, if a church pastor and a church leader publishes a book, you know he's made it. Like that's the standard. Like you're super great. Not only that, but man, greatness these days is like if you end up on Preachers and Sneakers, okay? Anybody know what Preachers and Sneakers is? Come on. If you don't know what Preachers and Sneakers is, just get on your Instagram later. Not right now. Later. Just look up Preachers and Sneakers. But if you end up on Preachers and Sneakers, you've made it, okay? But, but that's a lot of the times, like I said, if I could be very transparent, very honest with you, I'd fall into that trap. That my greatness depends on the size of my church, if we have staff, or how big our budget is, and all of this stuff. And if I could be honest with you, I, I struggle with that at times, but I quickly have to remind myself that the way that the world looks at greatness and the way that Jesus and God and the scriptures look at greatness are completely different. You see, the world looks at greatness by you know, how much money you have, how, how famous you can be by material possessions, but what kind of crowd or circle you're running with, and that actually happens in the church world as well. Once you kind of enter this crowd of group of pastors, you kind of made it. Now you're great. Worldly greatness is determined by how many people are under us, how many people serve us, how many people are subordinate to us, our influence, the amount of degrees that we have in our wall or offices or whatever. That's how the world defines greatness. And how does the world tell us or teach us to get to that greatness? Do whatever it takes. I mean, do whatever it takes to be great. Climb the ladder as fast as you can. And guess what? If you got to kick a few people on the way up there, go ahead. Survival of the fittest. But when I look at that, I'm like, that's not the way that Scripture talks about being great. That's not the way that the Scripture talks about what greatness truly is. And so today, church, I just really want to 
let Jesus talk to us about what greatness is and how do we become great, not by the standards of our culture, but by the word of God and by Christ himself is going to tell us, hey, this is what it looks like and this is what it means to be great. And I hope and I pray today that you would be challenged that you would be challenged by that. You would leave different with a different perspective, a different passion, a different attitude. So let's just jump in right away. Verse 30. They said this, Mark says this. They went on from there and passing through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise but they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. So that's what Mark tells us. So they're coming down this, this mountain. They're coming down this mountain. And Jesus says, hey, I don't want anyone to know that we're going to Capernaum. We, we don't want anyone to know that we're traveling. Like we just don't, I don't want any publicity. I, I want to keep this on the DL. Now, why would Jesus not want anyone to know? He doesn't want anyone to know because Mark tells us that he's been teaching his disciples. He's teaching his disciples. He's discipling them. And so, again, the, the, the chapters before this, the one through chapter nine, has been Jesus's ministry in Galilee. Now he's really focusing on the disciples. Why? Because he's headed towards the cross. So he's really focusing his time on teaching the 12, pouring into the 12, and he doesn't want to be bothered by, uh, by anyone. And so as they're coming down to, uh, to Capernaum, as they're traveling on the road there, Jesus tells the disciples, hey, the Son of Man is going to be delivered. He's going he's to be killed. And after three days, he's going to you know, be raised from the dead. Mark tells us that the disciples did not understand what he was saying. That he, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. Why? If you remember a few of sermons back, uh, the disciples, they didn't understand this concept of a Messiah that would die. Like they, they just, they couldn't grasp it. Like a dying Messiah, uh, we, they were expecting this political leader, this savior, right? Like this, this, this powerhouse of a man and not, not someone who would come and suffer and die. So they still didn't understand that, um, uh, that the Messiah would have to suffer. And Mark tells us that they didn't understand. And not only did they not understand, but they didn't want to ask Jesus the question. Like, they, didn't, they were afraid to ask Jesus. Now, why were they afraid? I mean, think about the entire context. Think about the, even the chapters before. Jesus uh, has been telling his disciples, hey, you guys sometimes don't, don't understand. Hey, you guys have been dull in, in, in your spiritual life. Prior to this, he's told them that. It's also possible that they didn't want to uh, ask Jesus because they were afraid because what happened to Peter, right? Peter got rebuked by Jesus. So they're like, you know what? I'm not going to ask Jesus anything. I'm going to stay back before Jesus rebukes me like Peter. So they, were, they didn't understand that Jesus was going to suffer and die. And they didn't want to ask because they were afraid. Verse 33, and they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another or one, one another about who was the greatest. So again, they're going to Capernaum, Jesus' home base of operations. Most likely it's at Peter's house. 
And so Jesus asks them the question, what were you guys talking about? Like, what were you discussing on the way? Now, does this mean that Jesus didn't know what they were talking about? No, he, he knew. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's all-knowing. So it's possible that he just knows everything because he knows everything. Or maybe he probably overheard their debate. He probably overheard their argument and the things that they were talking about. And so Jesus asked this question to set them up. He sets them up. He's about to teach them, but he asked the questions to set them up and teach them. And Mark tells us that after Jesus asked the question, they kept silent. Busted, man. Like, just busted. I remember uh, when I was in high school, uh, we, we were a foster home. And we had a bunch of uh, young kids in our home, like, I don't know, like over 20 kids in our home. And, and I remember uh, I'd take care of my little foster brothers, and it was only me and one little guy. His name was Otis. I mean, a little polar bear-looking guy. He was just stocky. He was super cute. And it was just me and him, and, and I was cooking him something in the kitchen, and I hear something break. And I'm like, oh, that just can't be good because he was a wild child. So I go over to him, and I'm like, I, I'm like, what happened? And, and he stayed quiet. And then, he, then I saw the vase. And I go, hey, Otis, did you do this? He's like, I'm like, hey, it's only me and you in the house. You know, he knew he was busted. And so the disciples are just busted here. They kept silent. They didn't say anything. Their ambition turned into embarrassment like this. Their great ambition turned into embarrassment. One minute they were arguing who's going to be the top dog. Now they're silent because they knew they were guilty. They were completely guilty. Silence implies guilt. I mean, just think about that for a second. Earlier, they heard of Jesus suffering, right? Earlier, they heard Jesus say, hey, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. They just heard this like about a week ago. And now they're talking about who's going to be the greatest? Like what audacity, like what arrogance, what self-exaltation that you can argue if you're going to be the top dog when Jesus just says that he was going to die and suffer. I mean, they were not in the right mind at all. They argued who was the greatest. The word greatest means uh, basically superior in importance. Now, what triggered this debate, church? What triggered this debate about who was the greatest? I think that what triggered this debate was Peter, James, and John being with Jesus on the transfiguration. I mean, come on, let's just be honest. If, you, if Jesus picked you and two other guys and didn't pick the nine and he took you to experience this powerful moment and you came back down and saw the other nine, please don't talk to me. You wouldn't be walking like this. What's up, guys? I saw that, like I was there, you know? I mean, there was some pride there, I bet, from Peter, James, and John. And so that just sparked a debate about who was the greatest, who was the top dog, who was in Jesus' Jesus's inner circle. So they were ambitious. They were completely ambitious. They were completely focused on their position. They were focused on their title. They were focused on recognition. That's what they were focusing on. They were, there was this wrestling about position and title and status right after Jesus said he was going to go to the cross and die. Now, here's the thing. I want to just stop for a second and say this. Ambition is good. 
Like, it's good to have ambition. It's good to, to honestly want to be the best follower of Jesus on this planet. But it's the why. It's the reason why. Do you want to be ambitious and do you want to be the best follower of Christ or whatever it is for your glory or for the glory of God? Like, that's what matters. Ambition is good. We need that. Paul said, hey, I'm going to run this race. Paul says, hey, I work harder than any of these guys. So it's good to work hard. It's good to have ambition, but for whose glory? Whose fame? Whose honor? The glory of God. The fame of God. So here's the question for us. Do we kind of struggle with the same uh, searching for recognition, for honor, for positions? Do we, do we have that same kind of focus in our lives that we desire the glory for ourselves? I want to ask you a few questions that maybe we'll just probe at your heart and take a little test. I got about six questions that you should ask yourself. Number one, am I upset if I am not praised for my work? Am I upset if I'm not praised for my work? Number two, do I like and even long to sit at the head table in the seat of honor? Number three, do I see credit for what others have done? Number four, do honorary titles pump me up? Number five, is popularity crucial to my sense of self-worth? Number six, am I a name dropper of those I know? You drop names just so you can look good in front of other people. It's a little test, a little heart check for yourself. Is it glory for yourself? Or is it glory for God? Verse 35. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So Jesus now says, hey, boys, it's time to chat. He says, Mark tells us that Jesus sat down. This was a traditional posture of a Jewish rabbi. In other words, Jesus was saying, hey, guys, school's in session now. We're about to have a heart-to-heart. We're about to have a talk about your ambition about your self-centeredness, about your pride. We're going to have a little talk here. So Jesus sits down in a position of a teacher. And let me remind you, church, that, this is, that Jesus is not only our Savior, but he's also our teacher. As he's discipling his, his disciples in this context, he's discipling us right now through the power of his word. And so Jesus says, hey, boys, let's have a seat. I need to talk to you guys. I remember when I was younger, uh, anytime my mom said, hey, Johnny, we need to go sit at the table, I knew what time it was. Like, I just knew what time it was, man. Like, and it, here's the thing. It was, it was always me. It was never my brother. But when mom said, hey, we need to have a seat at the table. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. You know, and honestly, I was guilty 100% of the time. But my parents would sit down just with me in front of this table. And we've had some conversations, man. Like, they'd call me out on my stuff. Like, I was having adult conversations, like, at six years old. Like, it was just crazy. So they'd call me out even at six years. I was in my high chair. They were having these. But, Mom, I, I thank you for that because I could have difficult conversations now. Thank you, Mom. So Jesus sits at the table and he says, you want to be great? 
He says, you want to be great. You want to be the goat, boys? Okay. Let me tell you what it takes to be the goat. Let me tell you what it takes to be great in my standards. He says this, if anyone would be first, hey, you want to be first, you want to be great, he must be last of all and the servant of all. You got to be last of all and the servant of all. The word servant means one who gets something done at the command of a superior, an assistant to someone. The term could also mean a table waiter. In essence, it means laboring for the Lord. Hey, you, you want to be great? Serve. Serve. Hey, you want to be the goat? Labor. Labor for the Lord. Labor for people. And notice what Jesus says. Three little, little letters. All. The last of all and the servant of all. What does all mean in the Greek language? It means all. <laughs> it, means, it means, I just taught you some Greek. I just taught you some Greek. It means all. It means the people that you least like. Come on, we all got some of those people that are really hard to love. They're the all. They're the all. A spouse, brother. Some of your spouses are like, you know, elbowing each other. A coworker someone who's hurt you, they're the all. The servant of all. That's what Jesus says. And so here's the thing. In this cultural context, there was really a hierarchy, a strict hierarchy. And this, this statement was, would, would have been shocking for these guys because hierarchy and where they rank in, in, in regards to other people was super important in this culture. So for Jesus to say this, they must have been shocked. Like, what do you mean? I'm not a servant. I want, I want to be great. And so they were completely shocked at Jesus' definition of what true greatness is. Jesus says that greatness is about self-sacrifice, not self-exaltation. Jesus says that greatness is about others and not ourselves. Jesus says that greatness is about service, not our status. Jesus says that greatness is not about getting, but about giving. Jesus says that greatness is about our posture and not our position. Our posture of serving under people of all types of people. Jesus says that greatness is about the towel and not the title. The towel that Jesus used to dry his disciples' feet and took a form of a servant. That, that washing of feet was for a servant. It's not about the title, but about the towel. Self-sacrifice. I remember they gave us some training and, uh, before church planting. And they told us this. They said, guys, be very careful when you're church planting in the early stages. Because people are going to start jockeying for titles. People are going to start wanting titles in a brand new church, and they're going to start fighting for titles. And I'm like, yeah, that ain't going to happen to us, right? Like, we're different. That ain't going to happen to us. Sure enough, I get an email. Hey, I want to meet up with you. So I'm like, sure, okay. So uh, my wife and I met up with this person, and uh, at that time, we were recruiting people uh, to just, you know, volunteers, right, just to 
to help us launch this church. That's all we were doing. We are trying to build a dream team and uh, a launch team. And so this person, they, they came and they said, hey, uh, here's my resume. I'm looking for this. I'm looking for that. And I mean, they were just telling me how qualified they are. And I told them, I'm like, look, um, first of all, I don't even know if I'm getting paid. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't even know if I'm going to have a job. So like, you know, it, I don't know. This is a volunteer thing. And they kept on going and going about how good they were and about how great they were. And they gave me their resume. And I just said, stop. I said, here at Restoration, we don't hand out titles. We hand out mops. We hand out mops. You got to do the dirty work. You got to do the hard work. You got to serve. You got to sweat. You got to bleed. Maybe not bleed, okay, but, but you know what I'm some of you are like, oh my goodness gracious. We don't hand out titles. We hand out mops. We hand out towels if you need to clean the restroom. We hand out towels to wipe the sweat off your face when you're setting up and tearing down. Can I get an amen for our load in, load out team, church? I love uh, what Charles Spurgeon says. He says this. If God has called you to be his servant, why stoop to be a king? Come on. Come on. If God has called you to be his servant, why stoop down to be a king? I don't want to be a king. I want to be a servant. I want to be a slave to Christ. I want to be a servant of God's people. I want to be a servant of the lowliest lows, the people that nobody wants and the people that Others treat like trash. Those are the people that we serve. Amen? I always get uh, a lot of people that, especially younger guys, that say, hey, I want to do ministry. Oh, you do? Okay. I want to do ministry. Cool. And so they just say, hey, like, how do I become a pastor? What does it take to be a pastor? And I ask them. Are you willing to do what no one else is willing to do? Are you willing to do what no one else wants to do? And if you, can, if you, if you say no, man, find something else to do. Are you willing to do the things that no one wants to do? The dirty work, the hard work. Are you willing to do that? I remember when I first started serving in church. You know where I started serving at? I started serving picking up trash. <laughs> I was on the trash team, guys. Like, that was my first like, dream team position. I picked up trash. Uh, my college ministry had these uh, you know, taco sales, and uh, I thought they were going to let me cook the food, um, but they were like, no, dude, you sweat too much. We don't want you to sweat on the food, so how about you pick up trash? And uh, I was like, okay, cool. So, guys, I started picking up trash. And nobody wanted to pick. Who wants to pick up trash when it's hot outside? But I said, God, if you need me here, I'll do it. And here's the thing. I don't tell this just to, to boast or anything like that. Because if you would have met me before Jesus, I was the most selfish, egotistical, self-centered person you would ever meet. But I picked up trash. And I tell, I tell him the story. Are you willing to pick up trash? And guess what? No one thanks you for picking up trash. Nobody. And guess what? I got upgraded a couple weeks later to the cook. 
So I was cooking the meat. You know, finally, I was like, oh, I'm getting, I'm getting upgraded. I did kind of sweat on the, the meat a little bit, so it's a little saltier you know, than, than normal. But then after that, they actually let me do announcements. They gave me the mic, which is that's dangerous. They gave me the mic. I did announcements. After that, taught a sermon for the first time. Journey goes on. But it started by picking up one piece of trash. One piece of trash. Serving the heart of service. The heart of service for people, for God, for the Lord, doing the things that nobody wants to do. So Jesus, as he's having this conversation with his disciples, he, he takes a child. He brings in a child. Most likely it's Peter's child. Most likely this is at Peter's house. So it's most likely Peter's child. Now, why a child? He takes this, this child, and, and why a child? Well, why does he, he take this child? And, said, and Jesus says when he, when he took the child, he says, whoever receives one, speaking of the child, one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. So why a child? You see, here's the reason why. Well, in Western culture, we tend to view children as innocent or vulnerable or gentle or even pure. In the first century culture, they were viewed as insignificant. Children were viewed as insignificant and having no social status. So to welcome a little child means breaking the social norms of the day, lowering oneself to accept another person of a lower status, thereby risking your own reputation. That's what was going on. So Jesus is saying, hey, if, if you take this child who has no status and you risk lowering your reputation, your position, your name, and you do well, then you do well. And not only that, but if you receive a child, a lowly child like this, you, all re- you also receive the one who sent me. In other words, what Jesus was saying is this, that to receive a person of lowly status as a child, and this child could also mean, most scholars and theologians believe it also means to believers, believers who are, are, are of a lower status than others. So to receive them is to receive Jesus, and to serve them is to serve God. To serve the lowliest of all is to serve the greatest of all. That's what Jesus is essentially saying. He's telling his disciples, are you guys willing to risk your reputation, your prestige, your status, to serve under someone who the world doesn't care about? That's what he's saying. And when you do, and when you serve other people like that, the homeless, the broken, the hurting, the outcast, you also serve God. So what's the main thing that we can take away from this passage, church? I think it's this. I think it's this. I think if Jesus was here today and and he'd want to summarize this passage, this is how he would summarize this. Greatness is not about how many people serve you, but about how many people you serve. Plain and simple. That is what greatness is. Greatness is not about how many people serve you or how many people are under you. 
serving you. It's about how many people you serve. That is what greatness is. Greatness in the kingdom of God is serving others. That's greatness. That's how to be a goat. And here's the thing. Where does service begin? How can we begin living a life of service? How can we begin being goats? A life of service begins in your home. It begins in your house. Can I get an amen, somebody? When I was a kid, my mom would, again, great lessons from my mom. She would, she would stare me right in the eyes, and she'd say, Johnny, Joshua, service begins in your house. You can't go serve other people, and you can't go serve others if you don't serve in your own home. And I'm just like, Mom, I'm like 10, man. I don't even have a family yet. Like, what are you talking about? Service begins in your house. It, be, it begins by serving your spouse. Let's begin there. Serve your spouse. Sacrificially serve your spouse. Christina and I have this thing, a little competition. I'm going to outserve her, and she wants to outserve me. Like, I'm, I'm totally serious. Like, I'm, I want to outserve my wife. You see, this, there's this thing, this idea in marriage about 50-50. I'll serve you 50. You made me the other 50. Marriage is not about 50-50. Divorce is 50-50. Marriage is 100-100. That's what that is. You outserve your spouse. You love them even when you don't feel like loving them, which is a lot for Christina. <laughs> serve your home. Children. Children. Serve your parents. And here's the thing, I'm, not talk, I'm talking about children of all ages, so all y'all, serve your parents. Honor your parents. Serve your siblings. Respect them. Love them. Sacrificially give to them. Service begins in your house. You can't serve in the world and be good with the world if you don't serve in your own home. You can't. Service starts in your house. And it should bleed into the church, the local church. God has given each and every believer spiritual gifts to serve. You see, let, me, let me just be straight up. If you're a believer, serving is not an option. It just isn't. You see, Jesus didn't call us to be consumers of the resources and energy of the local church. He called us to be contributors he didn't call us to be just spectators. He called us to be laborers with him. You were given spiritual gifts, church, to serve, to edify the body of Christ, to reach the lost, to reach people, to build up the kingdom of God and to advance the kingdom of God. There is a purpose for your life. And I, I often see way too many believers taking their gifts and stuffing them in a storage. Your gifts don't belong in a storage. Your gifts are powerful. And God wants to use your gifts, your spiritual gifts, your abilities in the local church. 
Be a laborer, not a spectator. And God has a plan for you. He really does. He wants to use you to make a difference here at Restoration Church. You see, there, there, there's this rule. Uh, there, this, you've probably heard of this, the 80-20 rule, that 20% of the people or 20% of, 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 yeah, the people usually produce 80% of the resources. Isn't that interesting? And that, that's so true within, in so many areas, including the church, that 20% of the people produce 80% of the resources. What, what if we could flip that at Restoration Church? What if it's not always the same 20% of the people? What if it's 80? Could you imagine the impact that we can have in people's life and in our community? It's calling us to serve. I hope, I pray, that you feel challenged today. I do. So I encourage you, if you're a believer, if you're a member of Restoration Church, Go through the growth track. Join the dream team. Let's make a difference together. Let's make a difference. Let's make a difference. Could you imagine if every single person here labored in the body of Christ, the local church? What could happen, church? What could happen? Your home, the church, your workplace, your workplace, that boss, that coworker that you can serve your community, your neighbors. You see, there's so much need out there. There is so much need out there. And I'm really asking you to live a life of service. To live a life of service. Not just simply check the box service, but a life of service. And here's the thing, a life of service requires the lens of service. A life of service requires the lens of service. Put on the lens of service because there's so much need out there. It's out there. We're just, we're just so blind. We, we, we fail to serve because we don't see the need, but the need is there. People are hurting and broken all around us. There is need in your community, in your work, within your own family, within your own church. The need is there. The need is there. Now, here's the thing. We can't serve in our own strength. We just can't. We can't do it on our own, church. We just can't. Especially in those times where we just don't feel like serving, don't want to be sacrificial, we can't do it on our own. The only way we could do it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Crucifying ourselves, denying ourselves, taking up the cross daily, asking God, God, help me be a servant leader because I can't do it on my own. I can't do it on my own strength and I don't want to do it. But God, help me. We cannot do it on our own. I love what this pastor says, Pastor Tony, he says, the gospel frees us from our addiction to ourselves. I love that. The gospel frees us from the addiction that we have to ourselves. The gospel frees us up so we can be sacrificial to others in the power of the Holy Spirit, not the power of our own strength. 
here at Restoration, one of our values is service. It's service. One of the values that we have here is service. We're, service, we're servants before we're leaders. We pick up the mop, we pick up the towel before we worry about the title. Here at Restoration, we've said it over and over again that we don't have to serve God, we get to serve God. It is our privilege to serve God. It is by His grace that we serve, it is by His grace that we give. We get to serve God. It is our privilege. Why? Why do, the, why do we have that attitude here at Restoration? Why is, why is that something we're always talking about, that we get to? Why? What is our motivation to serve God? Because if you don't have the right motivation, your actions won't follow through. And that's just the truth. What is the motivation? What is our motivation? What is the why behind serving sacrificially? By being okay, of, uh, being okay by being the servant of all. What is our motivation? Our motivation is this. We serve because Jesus first served us. Isn't that true? Mark chapter 10 says that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. God himself in the flesh didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is our motivation. We serve because he served us. Because when we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us. He served us. He paid the ransom to free us from the bondage of sin and Satan. And boy, if that doesn't motivate you, nothing will. Nothing will motivate you if that doesn't motivate you. Philippians chapter 2. Paul's talking to the church of Philippi and he's saying, follow this example of Christ. He says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't be conceited. It ain't about you. It's about God. It's about Christ. It's about his glory. It's not about you. He says, but in humility, so be humble. Count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. It's others. It's the all. Caring about other people. Have this mind among yourself, this perspective, this mentality, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I love this. Check this out. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is what Paul was saying. Jesus left his position of privilege and took on a position of punishment for you and I. 
Let that sink in. He set the example for us. He left his position of privilege, was sent to earth, and took on a position of punishment, of a servant. That is our motivation, church. That is it. That is it. We serve with everything that we have because he first served us. Greatness is not about how many people serve you, but about how many people you serve. That's greatness. Greatness is about giving God the glory, not ourselves. Believers, follow the example of Christ through the empowerment of the Word of God and the Spirit of God that dwells in you. If you don't know Jesus today, whether you're here today, I don't know. I don't know where you stand with God. Or if you're watching online, before He can be your teacher, He needs to be your Savior. Follow Him. Follow Him. Because one of the many that he gave his life for and paid the ransom for was you. Place your faith in Jesus. Follow him. Church, I hope you were challenged. I'm not here to tickle your ears. As you can tell, because you probably know me for a while. If you're looking for a church that's going to tickle your ears, just saying it. Saying it. But in love, I will challenge you. In love, I will call you to a higher calling. Calling that God has upon your life. Serve. Because He first served you. Let me pray. God, we give you praise. Yeah, hey, give Jesus a hand, God. Let's go. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you. We thank you for setting that example for us. For leaving a position of status with the Father. And dying the most humiliating and brutal death anyone could ever die. You humbled yourself, became a servant so that you could give us life, freedom, forgiveness, hope, joy, reconciliation with the Father. And God, I just pray for every single person here today that through the power of your Spirit, you would give them the boldness, the strength, the wisdom, the energy to serve others. I know it's difficult. And I know it's difficult to serve others that have hurt us. But God, we hurt you, and you still served us. Give us
us the strength we need, God, but we don't feel like serving. Help us crucify our selfish ambition. Help us put it to death daily by the power of your spirit. God, we need you. We need you, God. We're asking right now. We're pleading with you. We can't do it without you. Empower us. Embolden us. Strengthen us. By the power of your spirit, Jesus, we need you. We need you. May the people of Restoration Church be people who serve, who are known by their service. They're never too good to serve anybody, but it's their privilege and honor to serve everyone. We love you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.